That one decision of taking this random internship put me on a path that I never would have gotten otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a lot of luck, but then I also just built upon that luck. I saw the opportunity and took it. Welcome to Profession Session. I'm your host, Brody Vincent. And in this show, I talk to all sorts of professionals, business owners, corporate stars, entrepreneurs, just to hear a little bit about what's made them successful in their career so far. And today I have Jessica Hobday on. She's going to talk a little bit about advertising and marketing. Thank you for joining me today, Jessica. Of course. Awesome. So we've got a very interesting kind of background of how we came to know each other. We do. Actually, I don't know if, get him in frame. if we, yeah, we could probably try to get him in so frame here for a second. So he's been, <laughs> he's a little shy right now, I guess, but my dog Sonny is here in the studio with us today. <laughs> yeah. There we go. There we go. So Sonny here, my dog, actually, when I moved back to Orlando, Jessica and, uh, and her girlfriend, Emma, started watching him for me for a while. And it was just because we had mutual friends, and you guys just liked having dogs around, and like, yeah, I and met Sunny, and posted it on his story. Like, yeah, hey, anyone want to watch Sunny? I'm like, I think he was I like, yeah, watch I'm, I'm into this. <laughs> yeah, he's a cute dog, so you started watching him, and um, and from there we just kind of became friends and kept going, and like, and now you have your own dog, which is awesome. Yeah, Remy. He's uh he's kind of an Instagram star himself now too. He yeah he's kind of fallen off. He needs to get back at it. I'm hoping you know one day he's got to get his posting more consistent. Monetize him and have him pay some rent. Yeah, he's been a freeloader for a couple months now, and I think it's gotten to his head. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> happens. You said he's kind of on demon time now. He's around that like seven month that mark. Seven month mark. It, yeah, it, it flipped a switch. So hopefully soon we'll get Sunny back to him and teach him some manners because. Lord knows he needs yeah. it. <laughs> and you actually, when you were watching Sonny, you used to have him in the office too, kind of an, as an intern. So hopefully Remy will pick that up soon. Yeah, so Remy's actually been sleeping on the job a lot. It's um, unfortunate. He's eaten some boxes. Um, he, he has never pooped in the office like Sonny has. So that he was does a have a one-up. Yeah, that was a big rookie mistake. <laughs> that was, I think that was Sonny's first time there. So we'll give him a Yeah, pass. I'm surprised he recovered from that one. <laughs> Very good flexibility on the management, so props to you for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so so Sonny was hanging out with you all for a while. Uh, we became friends through that, and then kind of flash forward, I found out more and more about what you do and how cool it is. And I actually had Matt Craig on not too long ago, your boss, who yes. you have kind of started this company with from the ground up and really built it out. And so we kind of like got to know each other professionally through that, actually are working together now. Your agency helps us with a lot of stuff with Chef on the Fly. And so we've kind of got to know each other professionally, like like knowledge through advertising and marketing, and just got to talking about it. I thought it would be really cool to go over it. Yeah. It's been it's been an interesting track. It has. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we the best place to start is just with your background, because mm-hmm. you've got a very unique background in the sense that like you, you kind of started in college with everything, and just took a very like unconventional route to where you are. Yeah, it honestly seems conventional and conventional at the same time. You know, I got my internship in, in a marketing field in college when I was there for advertising. And like I was telling you, I, I really just got this job because I wanted to stay by UCF for the summer. I want to go home to New York. I'm like, 
well, I need a job then. So I just started mass applying. I think I applied on Handshake, which is the UCF like application portal for a bunch of companies. And I got a call, I did an interview, got hired on spot and I'm like, okay, great. I'm staying for the summer. And it was kind of just going to be that for me. And yeah, I think that was 2019. So three and a half years later, still with the same boss, new yeah. company, a lot, a lot has changed. I would say that part in and of itself, uh, we'll get into that. I'm sure some more, but like the staying with the same boss, but moving to a whole new company, that part strikes me as very unconventional. And there's a lot that I think we'll get into about like your whole thought process through that whole thing and like decisions you made that served you really well. But you started out at one company. Talk about that company a little bit. So that was, uh, they're called Fountainhead. They're an SBA lender. So they lend to small businesses. Um, pretty financial company as it is. It's nothing, nothing too exciting. I just had a little cubicle went to work and honestly the first couple of months I didn't have much to do. I was just like browsing on my laptop. That first job you kind of try to look busy. Yeah. So I, I and I honestly hated that. I hated trying to pretend to be busy. So that's why it was kind of just gonna be a summer job for me. But I ended up staying because of Matt, because anytime he'd have some kind of idea, he just really pulled me in, which was nice and I was like okay hands-on experience this is a decently easy job for the moment so I stayed throughout my I guess it was my junior slash senior year because I graduated that year early and it all changed during COVID so that was the biggest turning point for me and while most people lost their job during COVID like they were a lender and if you know PPP loans mm -hmm. They were a PPP lender. It's a big lender. PPP program going yes. on during COVID. So they were a PPP lender. So not only did I keep my job, I was working like 12-hour days. And, I mean, I had nothing else to do. So I was fine with it. But I Yeah, we talked a little bit off air. Sorry to interrupt there. We talked a little bit off air how about how during COVID you really, really ramped things up. And you feel like that was kind of this pivotal, like, transitional moment of, like, massive growth for you. Yeah, so... I had no choice but to, well, I guess I had a choice, but no choice but to work. Like, there was nothing else to do at the time. So I was like, hey, I may as well make money. And I went from being in college and like, I'd get paid, I'd have a couple hundred, maybe a thousand dollars in like my savings. And all of a sudden, like, I'd be working overtime. My paychecks would be like, twice what they used to be three times what they used to be so i'm like probably felt pretty awesome yeah i mean you were me i was making all this money i had nowhere to go and yeah. to spend it on so it, it was honestly a really fun time for me because it was just me and my roommate at the time two of our other roommates uh went home for covid so once bars started opening like in may just go out every night we like just do whatever we wanted really because we both had our jobs and all this money and nothing to spend it on yeah but, Good place to be. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's where I learned a lot of stuff I don't use now. But also that was a time where my boss was thinking of starting his own thing. Because prior to that, we were going to do like an agency within that company for brokers. And during all that craziness, he's like, 
I don't want to be tied to anything. Like we're going to start our own thing. And that's what led us here. And it was basically the two of you with that company acting as like the marketing department. Mm-hmm. So Kelly was there as well oh, okay. with us now. So she was there. She joined a couple of months after I did as like a video editor and a little bit of dev stuff. And so you're going along through that company, you're learning a lot and working more than you ever have before. And then eventually, as I know the story goes, Matt has the idea to do his own thing. Talk mm-hmm. about that a little bit, because like we were talking about off air, that was a really pivotal moment for you. Yeah. So as great as like the COVID time was for me, and like obviously that out of context doesn't sound great, but like with work, it also had a lot of struggles because we were a lender and so many people were depending on this money. And I was, I think, 20 years old at the time, getting emails and phone calls of people like so desperately like panicking for this money. And like one one email I got was from someone and he was like, I can't feed my family, like we're gonna lose our home. And I'm like, I'm 20 years old. So I had a couple breakdowns as well. And that's what kind of like I was even telling my boss, I'm like, I don't know if I could do this anymore. Like it was a lot on my shoulders at the time. I would talk to one of my professors who was in PR. I'm like, I don't know how to handle this. And she would give me some advice. But ultimately, it was either you stay or you walk. But I stayed and then we both walked. So that was kind of a point where we both were feeling the same thing. What do you think kicked in for you in that moment that like kept you there because that 20 years old going through such a stressful time I feel like most people would have caved right there but what do you think kicked in for you in that moment I think it was um a belief in that and we kind of had those conversations of starting something new and I was really excited for that it seemed a lot cooler to like just go work with him someone I knew someone I trusted than to try to just find a job in the middle of COVID. I knew if I walked, it'd be a pretty tough time. And I weighed those decisions because I was making so much money. I'm like, I have a a substantial savings to live off of, but I don't want to like diminish that. Yeah. So I kind of just stuck through it a couple months. And I think we started Plenty officially in July. So it was from like March to July that- That like really tough time. Yeah. So July of 2020, you start Plenty, and is it just you, Matt, and Kelly at first? Me, Matt, and Kelly. And so what did that even look like? Because, I mean, the founding of any company looks way different from the next. It's a, it's a lot of craziness. Yeah. I think back to the founding of the company I'm a partner of, and it was just nuts, like, the stories that happened. What was that like for you? It was honestly really slow. Like, so... We took Fountainhead and made them our client. So Matt was their CMO and me and Kelly worked under him. He's like, I'm starting my own thing, but we're still gonna do everything that we've been doing this whole time. So Fountainhead CEO was like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, we had them and then we signed on one more client um, who's still a client today. But it was a lot, a big learning curve uh, in the beginning. And like I was saying, Matt, was always the type of person if he could do it quicker himself than teach you how to do it he would just do it so Mm -hmm. I honestly had no work at first and like uh for a while I was like oh cool I've I've no work to do like I'm getting paid no work but obviously that didn't last too long um 
he was like, hey, I'm going to make you guys contractors. Like, business wasn't taking off. Obviously, it was still tough times for everyone. So a lot of companies weren't looking to, like, sign retainers at the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Especially with, like, a brand new company of three people. Yeah. So it was in that moment where I had to also decide to walk or to stay. And I searched around a little bit. I did a couple interviews. um, And ultimately, I was, like, thinking long-term projections of where I saw myself and how I wanted, like, my work life to be, like, my social life to be, just, like, that balance. And I talked to Matt, and we together kind of figured it out and figured out how to keep me on, keep things moving. And I think we were... We were made contractors maybe in like October or something. And by April 1st, I was back full time. Nice. Okay. I want to go back to a little point that was in there that I think is a really great point is that you went and you talked to him about just what you felt like you needed in your life and in your work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I think that's such an important point for anyone in their career who is reporting to anyone, Mm -hmm. a manager, a boss, is just having that transparency and making making sure they understand what you need as an employee or like whatever position you're in to be able to function correctly and be happy in your job. Just that transparency can go so long. Mm -hmm. And so many times I feel like the lack of that transparency in, in certain situations can lead to, I mean, unhappiness on both sides probably just because there's no communication and neither side knows what's going on with the other. But just having yeah. that transparency, like in your example, he was able to figure it out with you and figure out something that worked for you. And then here you are like way later mm-hmm. having worked it, worked through it and it worked out. Yeah, and honestly, I think like we have a really great relationship. I'm sure most people don't have as like close a relationship with their boss. Like I know I'm lucky in that aspect, but I've never had to like really lie to him. Like if I, there were times where, you know, I wanted to go to the gym, like I go to classes and I had to leave at 3.30 and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to this, like the four o'clock gym. As long as stuff gets done, he really doesn't care. He's the same way. He leaves comes back if we have things going on it's it's always a pretty transparent relationship and that's something he kind of built the company on even with like working with like pay structure um, we started we're kind of in the middle of starting like a revenue share so any profit left over at the end of the month like gets circled around he's like I want the employees to know what's going on like that motivates everyone. Yeah. If you're doing well, you're going to you're going to get something for it. So I think like having that transparency works in everyone's favor. Yeah. And yeah, the move up from contracting to full time was really just me deciding what I needed to do to make myself valuable to him because we were using a CRM system and it was new for all of us, and basically what got me to full-time was me owning that CRM, figuring everything out, going through the trainings, like doing their whole academy. And to this day, he still needs me to tell him like what we can and can't do there because like that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... This is your point that you wanted to make about 
becoming irreplaceable, right? Yeah. So talk about that a little bit. I think something that stuck with me was when Matt told me he's like, when because I know I'm irreplaceable for him, and I don't mean that in a cocky way. I think especially in marketing, the and just in career, the best thing like to do is like to humble yourself. I'm irreplaceable because I make his work life easier. Mm-hmm. And I make his work life easier because I know that his time is more valuable than mine. Mm-hmm. So if I could take things off his plate and like let him clear his schedule, that's valuable to him. And he told me one day, he was like, you're not valuable to me like for a skill. He's like, you could be the best graphic designer there is, but you being able to take things from me and figure it out is way more valuable than being the best at something. Yeah. You just need to like, I always say like, I can't describe my job in a few words. Like I would always say, I figure shit out for a living. I just figure it out. Everything I do, I just, I just have to figure it out. I used to spend half my day on like support with the CRM because it was just figuring it out. So I think being irreplaceable is humbling yourself. If you're under someone with a lot more experience than you, and if like they pass things to you, you're valuable by freeing their time. They're they're better than you. Their time's more valuable for you. Doesn't matter how great you think you are. I know that. So being able to humble yourself and learn things by yourself. So I'll only ask him for something if. I tried and I can't figure it out, or I know that him giving me an answer will take 10 seconds. Yeah. Whereas if I had to figure it out myself, it'd take 30 minutes. Like, it seems like a weird thing to say, but not bothering, not even not bothering, but not putting extra stuff on someone is, and being able to take it off instead is probably the most valuable thing you could do. Well, from the perspective of being a business owner myself who, has we have employees and people that help us with things that is hitting on exactly what an employer is looking for I mean, mm-hmm. that's a really good point is if you are an employer that is bringing someone on to help you with anything it's because you need help with something so the more that you can literally just make yourself help and take time and stress off of your employer's plate that's literally exactly what they're looking for and and that does really make you irreplaceable. If you're someone that can consistently show that they'll figure stuff out and do what it takes to do it on your own and you're Mm self-sufficient, you're really making yourself completely self-sufficient. Yeah, and that's literally how I got to where I am. That's why I continue to move up in the company. It's not because I know all this great information because everything I learn is through him and through figuring stuff out. I'm not the best copywriter, I'm not the best advertiser, but I I make myself available and I could get things done. Yeah. And that's something, especially in an agency where there's so many moving parts, you need someone to own it and figure things out and just make sure things are getting done. Tactically, what does that usually look like for you? If you're, you'd mentioned being on, uh, on the phone with customer support a lot. What about like the research process? Where do you usually start? It depends. So with the CRM, like now we have two more clients that both use different CRMs than what I've been working on for the past two years. So it's training videos. You just Google this, like HubSpot this, and Mm -hmm. you have all the 
articles, videos. It's a lot of just Googling things. Just reading up on different things. Reading up on it and figuring it out because like all the information is usually there for you. Mm -hmm. You just have to figure out how to dissect it and how to not make that take like five hours of your time. One thing that I've been amazed with so much with working with y'all, like actually like on a weekly basis and like having our calls and everything is how hands off you make everything. And I think mm -hmm. that's because you have that mindset as like yourself and as a company is just figuring it out and just providing value where you're supposed to be providing value. I've been really amazed at that. So like pat on the back to Plenty and you and Matt and everything, like it really is like you guys will just figure it out and do it. And yeah. I think that that brings so much value to your own career trajectory when you take that mindset is because mm -hmm. you're learning so much that you literally just have so much internal value for anything that you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we always want to be hands-on ourselves, hands-off with the client because at the end of the day, someone's hiring you to do something, not to be back and forth with you all day. And obviously you need feedback, you need approvals, but if we could do everything behind the scenes, like that's always gonna be more valuable to a client. To this day, we've never lost a client. Wow, So I believe it having worked yeah. with you. So it's something we've figured out, like we're, we're not gonna go to someone for something we don't need. Yeah, I love it. So another thing, kind of going forward a little bit, I wanted to, kind of structure this as going through your various positions because we mentioned kind of in passing that you have been able to move through the company going back a little bit you're first kind of just starting out with the, the beginning of plenty mm -hmm. i think you said you were a copywriter or something at first your position but you had made that decision to just make yourself irreplaceable like you're you're locked in you're an employee now and you know that you're going forward and staying there what does the first transitional period look like for you at that point? So, yeah, I started as a copywriter. It was kind of just the task that you got to do to do them. It was making the social media posts and there wasn't a lot of thought behind it. It was like, just get things out there. Once I, I think the next role, I was a content manager. That's when I started like, I think that might have been when I met you. I think I remember seeing that you were a yeah, content manager. Yeah, it probably was because that was a pretty a pretty year and a month or so. So that was more being a little bit more hands-off. We started to have more help with other people. We've had employees come and go, but making sure that deliverables were met, that things were clean, that things were getting done the way they were supposed to. If the client asked for something, I was delegating who had to do what. And that's kind of also where I've moved now and director of operations. I still forget my title sometimes. Because <laughs> that's a fairly new title for you, right? Yeah, so that's fairly new. And I still do some day-to-day -day things. Obviously, everyone's got to like do the work, but a lot is uh, delegating, checking, making sure things are met, and taking all those pieces and putting out like the product like did delegating come naturally to you i'm guessing no. the answer is no because it doesn't yeah. really come naturally to most people but also because you had 
begun by positioning yourself as this person that's going to just figure it out and do it on your own. And Mm -hmm. that mindset is hard to overcome sometimes if you're so used to just doing it all, like just getting it done. Yeah. What were some of the challenges and how did you overcome them? So I was never like a tell people what to do. I honestly like for the first couple months in that position or like in my career, I was totally okay with being a task doer and just doing what I was told to do and being happy with that. Um, It kind of switched when I realized that that wasn't going to get me anywhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm not someone who like likes to tell people what to do or like be in control. I'm a very like, if you want to plan something, I'll go along with it. Like I'll have my input, but yeah, it kind of hit me that I was like second in line in this company. And if I wanted to grow my skills and actually stay in that second in line position. The path was there. You just had to figure out how to adapt to it. I I had to take more ownership for things. I never wanted to really take that ownership. And once I did, I, I became even more valuable. I was able to have the moving pieces work without having to bother top level, which is mad. Is that something that still doesn't necessarily come natural for you? Or have you felt yourself fall into that more and more naturally? It's definitely become a lot easier for me. Um, it's funny, we have our contractors who are developers, and Matt told me, he's like, you know you made it when Shraben calls you boss, because they go, <laughs> okay, boss. And the first time that happened, I'm like, I got it. He's yeah. like, I'm boss now. And then our other developer, Nick, he's like, you got it, boss. I'm like, okay, I got this. Like, <laughs> It's just being able to communicate well and keep on track of everything, keep, it, keep on top of everything. Yeah, it's gotten a lot easier. You mentioned communicating well there. What are some things that you attribute to like being able to learn how to communicate well in an organization and what's worked well for you? Definitely learning who you're talking to because we have contractors um, in like India and the Middle East. So there's a language barrier there where they obviously speak English, but they don't like we have to be very, very direct especially we've learned that developers are very literal Mm -hmm. very literal people and then add in that language like barrier um, you really got to learn who you're talking to and how they communicate and match that I think anyone in that top position has to match the communication style of who they're talking to and not make people match them that's a really good point I think another thing that would be interesting to talk about is just like how how you kind of adapted as you hit those different roles and like what maybe any other challenges besides delegation anything that come to mind like aside from just like like moving up and like figuring out how to delegate things like what other big challenges come to mind probably managing time was really hard for me in the beginning uh i would get very overwhelmed pretty easily when it like a lot got on my plate and I was never a very organized person. I remember I would just have to write like things down on a post-it note and like stick it right on my laptop and cross it off because otherwise it just, more things come and it's out of my head. Like when I interviewed with Matt for the first company, he, he needed someone organized because he's not organized. He asked me, are you organized? I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, he's like, well, that's, that's not 
a deal breaker. Like you might have other skills, and I was just like, honestly, no, I've never been like a good note taker or like just organizing anything in school. Like it took a lot for me to become organized and be able to handle tasks and delegate time. I think you hit on a little bit of an interesting point there. Um, I've observed this in my own kind of day-to-day life with like having a lot on my plate, but just like making it easier for yourself, just putting a literal post-it note right there. For me, it's like I have like three or four of these notebooks in Mm -hmm. different strategic places with a pen next to them because I know that I'm not going to even go grab it. I just like I'll get on a call or something. I just start taking notes. Just making it easier for yourself, it sounds like, was – like making your environment more conducive to what you have to do. Yeah, that's honestly what changed it because once you have your thoughts in front of you, that's when like you can actually digest it. Mm -hmm. When it's all in your head, it's just one thing after another and I was getting very easily distracted. So just being able to like sit and focus was very helpful. Yeah, I think that's an important point for anyone like in your position where you're wearing so many hats. Mm-hmm. In a small business especially if you're like in management or like where you're at, like the various different positions you've had throughout it, you're wearing so many different hats and having to cover so many areas, figure out so many things. It's very essential to figure out that organization. Yeah, whenever people would ask me, like they're like, "Okay, you work in a marketing agency, but what do you do?" I'm like, a lot. How much time do you have? Yeah. I could go over it, but I don't I don't know how to condense it. And that's why I told you, like, I would say I figure shit out for a little yeah. bit. I just figure it out. I don't I don't know how to describe exactly what I do because I touch a lot of different things. Yeah. I think it's sometimes it's just easier to simplify what you do. Sometimes I tell people I just talk for a living. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just on so many calls all the time now. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like one call to the next. Yours has probably moved more towards that too. I know we're on a lot of calls, like even just like week to week, mm-hmm. like doing ours and you work with many companies. It, I, I, so much of management, you just move into like calls. one call to the next. Yeah. And honestly, that's something where trying to like not fall into too much because it is the case. And I, I honestly hate being on calls all day. I We always try not to have a lot of calls Monday and Friday and every Monday it's like really great for me because that's when I could like start my week I have tasks I have weekly tasks that need to be done Monday and I could plan out the week Tuesday to Thursday are packed all the time just calls the whole time yeah yeah and I'm like we need to keep these short keep them concise and like Matt could talk for ages yeah I'm someone where if this is like going on too long like I'm tuned out like if someone's keep talking and rambling and rambling, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do this while mm-hmm. you're talking because you just need the time to get the work done. No one wants to be on calls for four or five hours and then have to do four or five hours of work Yeah. when you could have shortened those calls to one to two hours. What are some good strategies for making calls more efficient and, for lack of better terms, just ending them quick, more quickly? Having an agenda before our calls always helps. Um, one of our clients that we have weekly calls with could he if you don't have an agenda for him he will figure one out for the meeting and it will be long (laughs) and it will get you a lot more work I used to hate those meetings because I felt like every time I came out of it I had so much to do we started sending him our agenda for the meeting and go over point 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 is there anything else you need in the last 10 minutes of the meeting 
one or two things. If we get on the call and say, oh, everything's going good, um, what's on your mind? He's going to have a whole long Yeah, then list. I come out with this to-do list that I didn't have to yeah. I didn't have to have in the other situation. I think that's so important, having the agenda and mm-hmm. like having a, a direct goal for a call. I've mm-hmm. found very helpful too is just like communicating what that's going to be before you actually get it on a call. Mm-hmm. And I've also noticed sometimes you end up finding that you don't even need the call after all. Like yeah. you might like put together an agenda and be like, oh, actually, we kind of just need to follow up on these things, and mm-hmm. maybe we'll push this call to next week or something because we all have to follow up on things before. Yeah. We've had, like, yesterday we were supposed to have, like, a – we have a weekly call with the client, and today we had their, like, growth strategy call. We're like, hey, everything – like, we already talked this week. Is everything good? We'll just talk tomorrow. And it's like, yeah, okay, that saved us half an hour yesterday. It's like little things like that, it adds up. Yeah. Because time is always going to be the most important thing. Like, especially for, like, higher-up people, don't want to waste their time saying, my boss is like, I have too much to do today. Like, I'm not going to be on this call. I'm like, yeah, I got it. Mm-hmm. And trust me, I don't want to be on a call either, but if you could just getting having a set agenda and get off, it's going to save you a lot of time in the long run. One thing we talked about off-air, kind of being on calls in general, is something that you had to kind of adapt to and learn to be able to do because you were used to just kind of handling your work behind the scenes a little bit more. What was that transition like for you? And how did you kind of find the confidence to like manage yourself on these calls with big clients? Um, It was Matt telling me because like I was telling you, like he'd be talking about something and I'd be frantically messaging him on Slack. Hey, we, we can't do that. Like that's not possible. Hey, that's, he's saying, oh, we could do that by Friday and be like no that's going to take way more time and he would he called me out on one of the call he's like sorry like hold on it's like Jessica just just jump in like you just tell them what you're telling me so I would tell them and after he was like hey like jump in interrupt me like that's what I need from you because I'd rather you jump in and just say it right there because if we get off the call after I'm like hey actually we can't do that and then he has to go back to the client and be like hey I just said I could do this and I can't yeah. So it was kind of just him telling me to do it, calling me out, and then realizing, like, that's also another way to save time is mm-hmm. to just figure everything out right there and then. Put it all out on the table mm-hmm. and figure it out, like, together. Yeah, so if I could save time, I'm going to do it. That's that's my biggest thing. I'm, I'm very, like, passionate about work-life balance. I don't want to be stuck working, like, long hours day in day out I like having flexibility and I know if I get things done I don't have to be sitting at a desk for eight hours Mm -hmm. if I get everything done in four hours and then I want to go to the coffee shop or I want to go I told my boss actually um, this was last week so the World Cup's going on and obviously so Emma and I are both from England so we're England fans and it was before they lost. Like you were born there? So Emma or? was born there. My dad I didn't was. Know that. My dad actually he was born in India, but raised in England. Okay. Wow. He, so we're both dual citizens, and all I our know. families there. So we're big England fans. I gotta get some tips for you or from you because I'm going in March. Are you? Yeah. We're trying to go in May for really? my birthday. Yeah. That'll be cool. Oh, so honestly, my brother. I've never be been. There next month. Is he really? Mm-hmm. So you'll he'll be there when you go there too. That's awesome. Yeah. So, have you been before? 
To England? Yeah. Yeah, so we used to go every year for Christmas because all okay. our family's there. Nice. Haven't been... So I was actually there for a layover in 2020. My brother and I did a Europe trip the week before COVID closed the borders. Oh so we God. actually had to come home a day early. At least you made it back. Yeah. People got, like, stuck. Yeah, so we made it back and we got the trip. So we, we flew into London but had, like, a six-hour layover. So our aunt and uncle came, picked us up, we got lunch, dropped us back off, and then we did Prague, Vienna, and Budapest. I did Prague uh, back in 2018. Very Prague beautiful. is, it's, I think, my favorite city I've ever beautiful. been to. It's beautiful. It's great food, like, great, like, just work-life balance. Like, it's cheap as hell. It Like, I would get a full meal and, like, two glasses of wine for, like, equivalent of eight dollars i was surprised it was so cheap too and it's because it's a very nice city and yeah. another cool thing about it is you can literally just look around and you just see castles in the background like everywhere it's, it's crazy we got there at night and went to a bar my friend from home was actually studying abroad there at the same time just coincidentally we planned to meet at a bar and then i get down there and i asked for a gin and tonic they said double or triple and i was like <laughs> You're like, I like these people. Okay, and I think a double was like four, equivalent of $4. I'm like, yeah, America could never. Yeah. Anyway, off topic, but. Well, we, one thing that you were talking about with Prague that was kind of like on the topic we were on before was the work-life balance. I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit more. What does what does work-life balance mean to you personally? Um, basically, if you get your work done, you're free to do what you want, which I've always kind of had which I'm really grateful for because I think sitting trying to look busy is probably the biggest waste of time the, mo the thing that makes people hate their jobs the most like especially office jobs if you have to be there from nine to five and you don't have anything to do that's that just builds resentment against the job against mm -hmm. your management like that just makes you unhappy if I am finished like yeah there, at, at this point in my job, there's usually always something to do. Mm -hmm. But if I know I could meet deliverables and, you know, this doesn't have to be done until Friday, I could do it now on Tuesday or I could do it tomorrow and I could have an early night. Yeah. I have that flexibility. You can kind of just structure your schedule as such. Yeah, so I could move things around. And my original point of the World Cup is we went to watch the England game, England versus France, and I told my boss, um, he was talking about how U.S. got knocked out, and I was like, well, if England wins tomorrow, um, they would have been playing on Wednesday. And that's usually when we go into the office, and I'm like, yeah, I won't be at the office. I'm going to be at the bar. Gonna, it was like a 1 o'clock game. I'm like, I won't be there. He's like, yeah, I understand. And I'm like, this doesn't happen often. But any anything that comes up, I usually have flexibility. And we also get unlimited PTO, which I know is like a topic these days because unlimited PTO usually means like you still got to approve it. People don't take as much because of that. Like it's kind of like a false advertising type of thing. Right. Like a bait and switch. Mm -hmm. But I honestly get it. Like mm. I remember, I think it was last summer. So 2021 my parents wanted to like, do a summer trip because my mom's a teacher and has off on the summers. And it was like 10 days before they wanted to leave and they called me and I was, they were like, 
we want to go somewhere. Can you get off work? I'm like, I don't know. Like, that's next week. Mm-hmm. I told my boss, I'm like, hey, I know it's short notice. My parents want to go to Spain. He's like, oh, yeah, we'll be fine. Like, go. And then I, uh, like, I probably have taken off at least, like, 30 days this year. That's awesome. Because, again, like, if I can get everything done, why why not take the Friday off? Yeah. You probably just go into overdrive leading up to it, make sure your deliverables are met and more, and things are figured out, like, a week in advance, and then you're good. I did the same thing in college at points where I would – any online classes I would finish in, like, two weeks, and I mm-hmm. wouldn't have to worry about it. Or I'd do all my homework. I'd stay up until, like, 4 a.m., do my homework for the week, and then I was chilling. So you've never really been a procrastinator? No. Interesting. It is interesting. I've never been one. I like to, as soon as I get something, I like it off my plate. What do you think that is? Is it just because you know that there's relaxation and peace at the other end? Yeah, because I also won't relax if I feel like I have a lot to do. Got it. So if I have, like, like if I had an essay due in school and... It was due on Friday, and it's Tuesday, and I haven't started. I'm just going to be worrying about it the whole time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I did it, I'm chilling the rest of the yeah. week. And that's translate into my work because if I know if I could get things done, like no one's going to bother me, and I could go off and do what I want. Yeah. And that's huge, why. huge point for any procrastinators. I'm a yeah. recovering procrastinator <laughs> still. Like I've, I, it kind of like a lot of times just like out of like, being in a situation where you're forced not to be one, you mm-hmm. kind of fall out of that. But I, I still fall into those tendencies. It's a hard thing to do, and you do end up stressing yourself out so much. If you Something you know. else I learned is because I was never a procrastinator and I wanted to do everything at once, and now I'm a lot busier, is also knowing when to just, like, shut it down for the night because I'd be, like, some nights, like, it's – which it doesn't even sound late to most people, but if it's 6 p.m., 6.30, and I'm, like, still working, like, I get really stressed out because I am us- I could usually wrap up my day pretty early. So I also need to know when to be like, okay, I could do that tomorrow. I need to just, like, brain break, relax. And that took more work for me to be able to actually just, like, forget about it and relax. Yeah, did that? it sounds like it didn't really come easily to you. No. That's such a struggle as... Not that you're the business owner, but you're a very high-level operator in your business now, especially. And so you kind of, and especially because of that, you always have something to do. You could always be working on something Mm -hmm. and are incentivized kind of to always be working on something. So that's a very difficult thing for someone in that position. How have you been able to overcome that and work on that? Um, A lot of just forcing myself kind of which isn't the best answer but I would also see that if I try to do a task when I was already like over it tired stressed out like it would just take me longer like my my head's not in it so I'm like if I keep pushing now it's gonna I'm like gonna get frustrated it's gonna take me an hour or whatever or I could come up write it down first thing I do tomorrow knock it out Writing it down is a good idea. Yeah, so everything for me comes down to time management and, like, managing my time because, again, I very, very appreciate my free time and being able to have that flexibility. So if I know that something's going to take me, two, like, two hours now or 30 minutes in the morning, like, yeah, I might have an easier day tomorrow, but I'm wasting my time. Everything is a pros and cons for, for time for me. 
why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like a, it's funny because it's like counterintuitive in this case. That's kind of like a procrastinator's thing. And you almost had to learn how to be a procrastinator in certain situations, how to like mm-hmm. know when to turn that on because you wanted to get everything done. Right. What have been some other struggles that you've had with uh, just having such a heavy workload and managing that? Obviously, I'm sure stress is one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you manage stress? Um, taking little breaks, um, you know, just fresh air, being outside, taking Remy out, just like being able to shut it off for however many minutes. Like, I'll literally just like lay down for 10 minutes and that'll kind of like give me a reset, which is also why I love working from home because you have that flexibility to do that. But I do the same thing yeah. when I work from home. It's so funny. Like it'll be like two PM. I just got off of like three crazy calls and have no brain cells left. Just go lay down for yeah. a second, like ten minutes. After calls, I pretty much always do the same thing. Yeah, calls could be draining because it's literally like, especially if you're like in management and you're like very responsible for what's being talked about on the call. It's just like mm-hmm. you're on for an entire like hour or two just like Mm -hmm. leading a call it can be very exhausting yeah even a lot of the calls that we have that like I don't even necessarily lead I just need I need to be taking notes I need to be like because we're gonna we're gonna throw out ideas with these clients I'm like okay well someone's gotta keep note of this Mm -hmm. we're we're gonna go back on this and we're, we're gonna be like oh what what was that thing you wanted to do or what was that website you told us about so it's just keeping on top of things is is a lot and calls are very draining yeah so being able to just like step out shut it down for a little bit is very useful for me another thing i wanted to go back to that that you had said you wanted to cover is we have kind of like covered it in passing obviously but the concept of uh of starting out your career in a small business versus a larger corporation that's obviously the path you took and you we were talking about it off air about how you feel like that was a really pivotal choice that you made whether mm-hmm. you knew it at the why it was at the time or not why it was such a big thing for you i would, would like to hear kind of your thoughts on that and why starting a small business you think is a better way to play it yeah so my biggest advice to anyone is a being in a small business and b trusting your direct management and, which is obviously a lot easier in a small business because in a big corporation, uh, your manager is probably managing 20, 30 people and you're not probably not as important to them. The small business for me, originally I had the thought of graduating, going back to New York, getting a big job in the city, playing that lifestyle. You know, everyone's like New York City. It's a very glamorized idea, right? Very, like very Advertising in New York. Yeah, which at this point I know would have been a bad choice because I think I would have been in some sales job that's labeled as marketing and making 30 grand a year and commuting because I can't afford the city. So the biggest thing about small business is I think people have it backwards. So they think big business, tons of avenue to grow. I think you have a lot more of a need to grow in a small business because I was never promoted into a position I made the position to get promoted into. And 
like for, I was telling you from March of this year to November, I've had three raises because I was able to make myself better like use in the company. And I actually calculated, I think from the start of the year to now, I'm making 40% more, wow. which is kind of unheard of. You can't do that in a, in a big business. No, you can't you do just that can't. in like most places. Usually if you're in a big business, your annual raise is probably going to be between like three to 5%. Yeah. So you're, which 3%, you're just meeting inflation. Like exactly. you might not even be actually getting a raise per se. Yeah. So in many cases. And I was driven, and that also made me more driven. Like I saw, I've had three raises to now equal 40% more. So I knew, hey, I do better. I take on more work. I learn more. I'm going to be compensated for it. So mm -hmm. why would I not want to do that? So that just reinforces that cycle. You're going to just put more and more and more into what you're doing. Exactly. And like my boss loves that. He, wants everyone to be self-motivated because that's only going to help him it's only going to help the business so if you're going to do that he's going to make sure you're, you're happy because if i kept doing more and more work and i wasn't getting paid anymore i was going to be like well what, what am, I, what doing am I doing this for yeah. i could just be chilling on the couch yeah but i know that everything i do has a purpose and it's going to lead me somewhere whereas i think it's just so difficult in big corporations you are going to start out as a number and you're kind of just on survival mode instead of growing mode. Yeah. And you could be on a team of like 14, 15, 20 people, and there's like one promotion available on the table, and mm -hmm. it's just everyone competing for that mm -hmm. rather than like, like you said, counterintuitively, kind of just creating the position for yourself. Yeah. Usually that's not like, the direction people go it's usually a position opens up and you want to get that position mm -hmm. whereas I've kind of been able to create the position for myself because I see the downfalls that we have and then I make sure that I get the skills to fill those gaps what do those conversations look like between you and Matt when you have kind of this idea that you that there is this new position that needs to be filled that you kind of thought through and have recognized and you want to move it up into it is is that him kind of recognizing that you've leveled up or is it usually you recognizing it sounds almost like it might be more you recognizing it and kind of conveying that so we actually have like quarterly check-ins which is super useful for both of us because it gives us both a chance to be like him to say this is what i could really use from you and me saying from last time, like we chatted like this, here's what I've been able to do. And that's usually when I would get either like a title change or a raise or whatnot. I think quarterly is so much better than yearly. Oh yeah. It's yearly so often in big organizations. It's kind of blows my mind. Because they don't have the time to true. talk to everyone. But it's a check-in for us and it just, it makes us both more aware of like where the company's heading and what we both could use because at this point, and he's also very clear where he doesn't want me overworked or like burned out mm -hmm. because at that point I wouldn't be any use. Yeah. So it's a very mutual conversation. Um, now that we've like added a lot of clients, some big retainer clients, that's when we had our last talk and I was like, hey, he said we might have to think about hiring. And I'm like, I'm okay with taking on more of this responsibility if I get paid more. Yeah. Like it, it was kind of a very direct conversation. He's like, I'd rather 
pay you more than have to hire someone else. And he's like, I just don't want you burned out. As long as you tell me if it's becoming too much, like, we're good. So we sat down and we talked. And it's always a negotiation. Like, he's never going to come to me and be like, yeah, I'll bump you by $1,000. Mm-hmm. He's very realistic. Anything, like, like I help sign you guys. So mm-hmm. I got part of your retainer as commission. It's always been a very fair and, like, transparent, like, work environment. And it helps us both because... I know what is expected of me, and he knows what he can expect of me, and it lines up. And that just goes to show that what we talked about earlier, just having that transparency and communication between boss and employee mm-hmm. is so important because of that. Like, he's getting exactly what he wants, you're getting exactly what you want, just mm-hmm. because you're telling each other what you want. And you can right. find a way to compromise, meet in the middle. And it like it's a big thing, especially when it comes to salary negotiations and one thing I didn't know was how heavy business tax was because he was he would tell he would sit down with the payroll and be like yeah I'm paying you this much but it's costing me this it's much. crazy it's an, and I and I was thinking like we have these many clients with this like level of retainer like we're ma- we're making so much money like mm-hmm. why is like why is payroll like hard sometimes if people don't pay on time and he kind of like laid it out for me so it helps my expectations because if you don't know that if you think your boss is making a million dollars and you're not getting paid well mm-hmm. you, that's going to also cause resentment exactly but if you know this is the profit that the company is making and this is how much you're getting this is how much i'm getting like then you could work it out everyone's happy mm-hmm. yeah just that transparency on both sides is so important Another thing I wanted to talk about, because you've become more and more involved with this, we talked about off air, is just like thoughts about scaling the company. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like what your talks are like when you get into just talking about like the future of the company, how you think about scaling up. So this is something I have to drill into Matt a lot because He'll, he'll run retainers by me. So if we're signing a client, he's like, I'm going to write it up and I'm going to send it to you. And something like we hate doing as a company is social media. We think it's very difficult to do well. And to do it well takes a lot of time and yeah. effort. So we like signed new cl- two new clients recently and they wanted social, but he had them at like five posts a week on every channel. I'm like, Look. that's so much work. I'm like, I'm very hesitant to do anyone over two posts a week unless mm-hmm. they're paying us like a lot. Five grand just for the social aspect. Because at that point, yeah, it's worth it and you could hire extra help if you need it. So that's where I come in a lot as like an operations person is I know more so what takes the time and what takes effort because when he's higher above like yeah, he obviously still does a lot of work, but he's also a lot of on a lot of calls and delegating things and may not know, like, oh, if I give... The, like, I told him, like, these two retainers are severely underpriced. Like, mm. we got to be charging way more or, like, take stuff out. And he's like, well... Like, these two are just not profitable the way we need them to be. Exactly. So another talk that we had about fixed cost was with these retainers, we were signing like more full retainers than just our like product retainer which is what you guys are on and i think they equal almost 15k a month 
but with the work that goes into it, your, your profit margins are just diminishing. So we had the talk of, you need to make this more expensive or we need to take some stuff out. And he's like, well, this is the budget like they want to pay. So I don't, I don't want to push them too much. So what do you think, like what are the big things we should take out? And that's where we work together to see what's the most time consuming, the things that we don't like doing, the things that we're not as good as doing. I think we're always trying to narrow our product down to what we can do well and what we like to do. Yeah, because the more you can do that, the more you can scale, right? Mm -hmm. If you figure out exactly what is the most profitable core competency, core competency. I was on a call with my partners today where we were talking about like, I, I mentioned one of my partners is the kind of the idea guy that's always like, he's always spitting out things. We could do this, we could do that, we could do this, we could do that. And that's like a constant back and forth that we have as partners where we're talking about. I, I end up a lot of times being that guy that says, okay, what are our like core competencies? Yeah. What drives us as a business the most? And we've got to stick to those. We might take on a new venture, mm -hmm. not to say we don't, but if we're thinking of this new venture, we always have to think, is that gonna take us too far away from that core competency? Mm -hmm. Especially with signing people, what we found is if you're going to offer one product to them, they're likely going to need you for a lot more. So we always start now with our conversion codex, but you start getting into lead gen, people that want more landing pages, they're like, hey, I need help with this like website, I want social, I want this. If you're already working for them and you're already doing a good job, you're going to be their first person that yeah. they go to. And if we don't want to do it, we'll say, yeah, that's not our thing, but here are some people that we know do it really well. Yeah. Or we get it and we're like, okay, their retainer just bumped and it's like not too much work for us. Or we just made this project and we're going to have good profit margins on it. So sticking with a narrow product always works better for us because then we can pick what we want to add on rather than being stuck with like a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it. Yeah, so it's it's always better to under promise and over deliver. So if you if you kind of promise the world as a business owner, as a business and taking on a new client and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you feel like you can't deliver or it's counterproductive to the business to deliver on that thing that you said, all of a sudden you've set yourself and the client up to fail. Mm. Right. Whereas if you approach it from like, hey, we're going to focus on this one really small thing and we're going to do that very, very well, you can always build on that right? if it makes sense too. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I think every, so besides you guys, every single one of our client was from a referral. And I guess you're kind of in that aspect too, but our clients, some of them also work together too in different mm -hmm. aspects. And it was, we were on a call today and it was like, oh, we're talking to blank from this company. He's like, you know, he's like, wait, you guys work for him? He's like, yeah, we're the marketing guys for them. He's like, that's so fucking crazy. Yeah. Like we, if you do one good job for one person, they're going to tell their buddies, oh, you need a marketing guy? Oh, go get Matt, like in his team. Like they, they've done awesome for us. And that's how we've gotten pretty much all our business because you just have to figure out what you're good at, do it well, improve yourselves, and then like your clients are going to do the work for you. Do what you say you're going to do. Yeah. Exactly. I've referred y'all to a couple businesses already. I'm, yeah. We I had know. that one talk. Where yeah. We were on a call and our client was, so 
with the conversion codex, obviously, you know, we're doing that automated LinkedIn messaging. Mm-hmm. And he was having a conversation. He picked up a conversation. Someone replied. And the guy was actually asking for help. He's like, oh, like, I don't need this service. Like, do you know anything about automated LinkedIn messaging? And he had no idea that our messages were automated. So he was, So our client was like, oh, yeah, I was just going to refer him to you guys because obviously this is working. So everything that we've been able to do is pretty much word of mouth and just people referring us. But, yeah, I mean, I feel like the point there is a really good one is that good businesses kind of just build themselves like that. Like mm-hmm. you shouldn't have to be really like pounding the pavement hard to get business development in check if your business is just a good business that builds on itself. Obviously, you're going to want to run ads and do different things and for your business development to really scale it. But that the referral and word of mouth and service-based businesses, is that's how it's done. Yeah, and it gives you the opportunity to like do what you want to do because if you're struggling for business if a client wants a b and c you're going to offer a b and c whereas if like we've had points where like hey we don't want any more new clients right now like we're onboarding too many clients like we need to get them settled and we've told clients like yeah we'll work for you but we're going to push you a month Mm -hmm. it gives it gives you so much more like control and like everyone likes having that control in their business. You don't want to have to feel like you have to do this to make ends meet. You want to be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it and know that you're doing a good job. Yeah, and just having that authority coming from that place of like, honestly, I'm sure there's probably been clients that you've, or potential clients you've talked to where you're just like, this might not be the best fit. Like we might not be the agency for you with like your needs and what we're trying to provide. Just having that transparency and that authority goes a long way too. Mm -hmm. With if you're not coming from the place of just promising everything just to get some business, people can kind of sense that. Like if you're coming from that place. Yeah, we just reworked a retainer with a client, and we're like, we've been doing this for you. Like, it's it's not our forte. Like, we're gonna we're gonna watch it while you find someone else. But here's what we could offer you instead in replace of that. Like, is this something you want to do? And they were like, Oh yeah, absolutely. We gave them referrals to someone else who could do it better than mm-hmm. what we took out, and they're in that process now. And then it, it's easier for us. We're not struggling. Yeah. We're just going to give them other services that we're better at, and, and everyone's happy. Exactly. It's just the the abundance mentality mm-hmm. goes into that as well. You know that there's going to continue to be referrals. You're going to continue to have business, and if you do it the right way, that'll keep happening. So another thing I wanted to talk about is just getting into the weeds here a little bit. Obviously, being the director of operations, you're very deep in the operations just day to day. And a lot of what you do is done on different advertising channels. I kind of wanted to talk about because you we talked about off air about how you went to UCF specifically for the advertising program and you mm-hmm. found yourself in a position where you very much work in advertising. What are your favorite advertising channels to work with and why? Um, Right now it's been Facebook. It's usually the cheapest for clients, so that's always good for them to hear. They have just abundance, their audience, like the the audiences you could build in Facebook is just insane. Like it gets so detailed because Facebook knows everything about you. If you're Mm -hmm. on Facebook, they know pretty much everything about you. And you could just 
hyper select who you want to target and it, because the it, audience is just so big right it so is. niching it down that that granularly it's still big mm-hmm. and LinkedIn is actually something that I've liked a lot more recently for the same kind same kind of reason but in a different way because their audience builder sucks but we have a lot of tools that can find people on LinkedIn. That can kind of fill that gap. That fills that gap. And then it used to be a very expensive channel. And now that we've worked with a lot of companies that are in like niches, we've just seen results that we've never seen before. We were on a call today with... As far as just the actual conversion of it. Yeah. So I think it was yesterday and we were on a call and a client was like, you know, yeah, I've been running ads for three I think he spent like 50 bucks on LinkedIn and had 110 like clicks and he was like I've been doing this for three like he's like that's absurd and Matt was like yeah that's insane like we we don't even see that it's it's been changed to favor niches I believe because when you can provide your audience data to LinkedIn it works wonders when you're trying to build in there it's not the best so that I like Facebook for and LinkedIn is definitely better for B2B. So if you're trying to build your audience, do it in Facebook because it's cheaper. But yeah, so Facebook also is probably more B2C than B2B. It could it could be right. both. It definitely depends. But if you're a B2B or a SaaS company, LinkedIn is where those CEOs are hanging out. They're not on Facebook. And if you're getting into actual like advertising, marketing theory, just knowing your customer, meeting them where they're at, it makes sense when you think about it, right? Because mm-hmm. if you think about people use social media channels very differently, right? right? You go on Instagram because you're looking to consume some content. Typically, mm-hmm. you go on Facebook for similar reasons. A lot of times you're trying to catch up with people, consume some content. If you go on LinkedIn, you're going on with like a business mentality, professional mentality. You're going on for kind of an express purpose. So if you're meeting people where they're at, that does make sense that it's B2B because people are going in with that business mindset. They're looking for something to level up what they're doing in their business or in their career. So if you are focusing B2B there, you're meeting the customer where they're at, whereas if you're more B to C, then meeting people on Facebook or Instagram or something like that just makes more sense because that's the the mindset that they're in. Right. And we really pride ourselves on our audience. It's just what we've been able to do really well. And we've had some pushback from this one client. He's like, hey, they're a conversion codex client. We send out automated LinkedIn messages. And he's like, why is this message going out at night? Like he wanted the messages between nine to five. And Matt was actually like, Actually, like, as a CEO, I'm only checking my LinkedIn at night. Like, people are busy during the day. No no one's going to be responding to your message at 3 p.m. Like, they're busy running their business. Yeah. So it's just knowing little things like that that really gives the competitive edge. It's why we put so much research into the audience and, like, have those two-hour calls with the clients. Like, we need to understand everything about them because – Little things like that is what's going to get you those replies and those contracts or those demos booked. Yeah. Understanding your audience to like a really granular degree. Mm -hmm. The term that you guys always use is ICP, your ideal customer persona. And, Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because we 
you've helped us develop multiple different ICPs. And I've felt like through that process, we've understood what we're doing a lot better. Mm-hmm. I think there's a really good point in there about just really understanding as a business owner, or someone working in a business, understanding your audience and what who you're actually looking for. Because you might be trying to, de- to like develop your business and grow your business, but have no idea what you're actually looking for. Right. So an interesting point there that I wanted to kind of go into a little bit more is you had this point that we talked about off air about this kind of, I would almost call it like a seesaw of like, like figuring out where you need to be on it of like whether you, the client wants to do too much or too little research. Yeah, that's what I was actually just going to lead into because audience building is something we spend a lot of time on. That's our like main research point because if you can build your audience, the copy, the creative, that's going to take you way less time. Whereas if you're skimping on the audience, then you are thinking like hours in, like, well, what type of terminology do they use? What type of platforms are they using? Like, it just delays the work. Whereas you could get the bulk of it done and everything else comes easily. But we've definitely run into clients who I was telling you want to just start, start, start. And we're like, hey, we don't even know who we're targeting yet. Like, you're just going to waste your ad money at that point. Mm -hmm. Or we've also had clients that we've given, like, four revisions to, and they still find something they don't like. And we're like, okay, well, now you're wasting your retainer money because you hired us to do a job and you're not letting us do it. Yeah. So I definitely say audience building requires the bulk of your research. The rest is always, like, once you get ads up, it's test optimized because we might think something's going to perform really well, and it does terribly no clicks or one thing we're like hey let's test this and it's the best performing one then from there you could be like okay well let's take this copy use a different creative let's like this creative switch out the image switch out the heading and the the way i've seen it in action with the way y'all do it it's not a b testing it's like a through z testing it's like you you throw everything out and see what sticks grab the thing that's stuck make it better throw out a bunch of versions of that and just keep making it better and like getting like really granular here like you I we've seen you be able to like get our acquisition cost of like the customer basis that we're going after down consistently just from doing that like the testing and optimizing yeah so I think yours is still around in in the 90s something cents mark which is crazy yeah like if you went to any business and said hey pay me a thousand dollars and I'll give you a thousand customers they'll be like, can I give you 10,000 for 10,000? Like, can, yeah. I, can I do this? Mm-hmm. Like, can I go take out a loan for the yeah. entirety of this bank's deposit? Exactly. Yeah. And then we've also had different companies, like their acquisitions can be a lot different. We have a company that they came in with a like 270 CPA, but to that, that cost was still worth it to them. And we got it down to like a hundred bucks. And they were, if you could do that really well, they will take your word on anything. And mm-hmm. if, even if you want to try something out and it doesn't work that well, they're like, dude, I don't care. We have a $100 CPA. Like, you brought it down $170. We're saving so much money. If you want to try something, go do it. Yeah. It gives us a lot of freedom, and it just builds trust right off the bat. We're like, hey, we could do this job. We're going to show you that. That way, you know, if we propose one copy thing or – one image that's not exactly what they're used to, 
they're going to be like, okay, go do it. We're not going to get pushback. We're not going to go through a bunch of different revisions, and that makes our lives easier. That makes their lives easier, and it's kind of just how we've found ourselves working. I love that. Do you have any hot takes on different advertising channels right now? I know you talked a little bit about Facebook and LinkedIn and how, like, your opinion and, like, use of them has changed a little bit from an advertising perspective. Any kind of, like, hot takes of, like, research, like, very, like, cutting-edge research that you might be into or, like, just things that you're starting to see change maybe? Um, A big thing for us was I think it was, like, iOS 14 update and – people could opt out of a lot of tracking and it absolutely ruins a lot of marketers like conversion tracking because they could be all over your site and you not know it. And it's something that's crazy for us. It's a lot of people see that they're like, yeah, don't track, like protect my privacy. But you're like, if you do that, you're still going to get Facebook ads. You're still going to get Instagram ads. They're just going to be for something you don't care about. Like I always like if something's tracking like my search history, I'm like, sure, because I found a lot of like products that I like through ads. Because if I'm looking for something and I get an ad through for like a t-shirt I want, and then I find I'm getting three different companies, oh, I like this one the best. I would have never known that. I'd rather get the ads for something that I like and I want than just random crap. So I um, like this point. Yeah. That's very interesting. That's the kind of thing that you can only really know if you're like in the actual mm-hmm. weeds with it, but it makes a lot of sense. You're yeah. going to get served way better ads. And maybe that means you spend some money, but you're spending money on things that you have literally been served up that exactly suit you. Yeah, so not exactly a hot take on the channels, but a hot take in general is the privacy aspect. Like, you're, you're still getting tracked in these apps regardless. But now, like, someone else is just going to be able to make money off your tracking rather mm-hmm. than not. But if that's going to serve you, why not? Help it serve you. Yeah. Interesting. What is, um, what is the biggest pushback that you get from clients that you have to combat? There's – it depends on the client. So our copy – is very conversational, very nonchalant, um, like very laid back. And a lot of people see that and be like, why aren't you like hyper-focusing this? Like with a LinkedIn invite, it's always like, saw we're in the same space, oh, we're relatively close. Like I look forward to seeing you in my feed. We, We got a lot of pushback from one client on that sentence where they kind of just like why are you not like pushing for a sale immediately or like why are you not telling them exactly what we do right so people want like them to know what you do right away and that comes off as salesy Mm -hmm. because you want to market yourself if you're reaching out to someone you want to market yourself as i'm a resource for you i can give you something and expect nothing back Mm -hmm. but if you give them something and that's valuable to them, they're automatically going to want you to give them more. And that's when you make the sale. So a lot of time we'll get pushback on the initial messages and they'll be like, they don't even know who we are. I'm like, they don't need to know. All they need to know is that you're I had to be the out. mediator for our call where, <laughs> where the other guys were kind of saying that same thing. They were like, well, we've got to tell them who we are and what we do. But really, I think there's an interesting point in there is that 
people on LinkedIn are not, they're not, they're looking to kind of level up what they're doing in their career, right? And a lot of times that will involve a sale of some kind or maybe deciding to work with some agency or some company. But they're kind of in the frame of mind of going on to just connect with peers and learn stuff. Like it's very learning based. And so if you provide the value and you help someone learn something on LinkedIn, that's what's going to build that trust that ultimately leads you into that. Right. And that's why I think we talk to you guys as well as we always like the client to have some sort of content piece. So if we get to the last automated message and we're still not getting response, we're like, hey, notice we haven't been able to connect. I just wanted to send this your way. Like, hope you like it. Let me know any questions, whatnot. Then you're just automatically providing value for someone for absolutely nothing in return. No one these days is going to pay attention to you unless you're giving them something first. And yes, specifically with the content piece that you're mentioning, you talked about like something that is just industry specific to what we operate in that would just do nothing but give them some kind of value. It's it might we we talked about pieces of content that weren't even from us. Like we we mentioned the idea of us maybe writing an article, and y'all were like, maybe not, maybe just find something that is in the industry and can just give them some value. And it shows, if you think about it, it shows that we are in the industry paying attention to the trends and are obviously like a trusted source in the industry because we know it. That's how we try to position our clients is someone as like a leader in the industry. And if you're a leader in the industry, yeah, you're, you're going to be writing articles, you're going to be posting, but you're also going to be sharing everything that you find valuable. So if you get that to someone else, they they might even not want to work with you. They're going to go, oh, I'll follow them. I'm going to keep tabs on them. And then when they read your stuff on LinkedIn, you're going to show up more. That's just the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Then one day, three months down the line, they're like, oh, we, we need some help. You're going to be the first person that they reach out to. Exactly. And you might not be making the sale right at the time. But in fact, it could be six, nine months, a year down the road. But you kind of planted those seeds that eventually took off and then you're just continuing to curate that pipeline. What is the thing that you're most excited for in your career going forward? That's a good question. Um, I honestly don't even know where I see myself like down the line. It's probably hard in your position because I'm sure if you went back and asked the version of you like a year or two ago, like what you thought of like the position you would be in, I doubt you would have th- like saw yourself as advanced as you become. Right. Yeah. I. So you've I grown so quickly. Exactly, and that's why I always said like that one decision of taking this random internship. I'm like, it just put me on a path that I never would have gotten otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a lot of luck, but then I also just built upon that luck. Like I saw the opportunity and took it. But as far as going forward. I just like being in the conversation of where the company sees themselves going and how to grow. I know we were talking off air about some things we have coming and the way to scale without more overhead. Um, I always saw myself in a position where we could scale without more work. There's certain jobs like if you're a hairdresser, you're, you're only getting paid if you're doing the work. I always wanted to be in a position where I could keep scaling, keep adding without more work and keep 
getting more clients, more revenue. It sounds idealistic, but yes. it's totally doable. It's one thing Matt always says is there's so many fucking ways to make money. Yeah, got to figure it out. So it just takes creativity, really. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we have a couple things that we're excited about, and I'm just. When I hear those, I want to be in the conversation. I want to be like, okay, well, what do you need from me at this point? Uh, I know, like, oh, if we're heading this direction, where are the skills that I need to be vital? If I'm, if we're going, if the company's going this direction, what skills do I need to get right now that I could help when we pivot? So anticipating those changes before they come and kind of pre-preparing yourself to be able to meet those needs. Yeah. So really what you're doing there is you're kind of, you're thinking of like the next season of the business, right? You're thinking of how you want that next season to look and just kind of working backwards almost from what that's going to look like and doing the things to prepare for meeting that seasonal need. Right. So everyone's goal at the end is to get the most money for the least amount of work, right? And the more clients we work with, the more people that we encounter, are, there's always more business ideas. There's always something else that we could either help them with, they could help us with, and it, that's why we're constantly kind of shifting and we just see it going in a certain direction that if, if I could help with, I know it, the payout's gonna be good and like the work-life balance, the lifestyle's gonna be good. After, moving up and being that person that kind of figures it out I'm kind of like that's just kind of my mindset at this point I've also just kind of always been a person I've I've seen what I want for myself out of life and I just like refuse not to have it so I will do what it takes I don't care what it takes I've tried like other like small business ideas like I've tried side hustles I like I have some that like I think of and I want to like pursue and just keep my lifestyle going the way it is because when, when I see my life like there's no way not to achieve it and I think that motivates me because I'm like there is no plan B like it's it's plan A or nothing I love that I was yeah. just writing down the fact that that's gonna be a clip <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I wanted to talk about is kind of going on another little tangent here, but this is something we had talked about off air that we wanted to cover, is having moved up to this position of being in management, you've kind of learned and and saw, and you heard this stat that you wanted to talk about, about the 90% of work. Yeah, so I don't remember if it was a video. It may have been Gary Vee. Love that, man. It was a stat that 90% of work in a business is done by 30% of the people. So you have your core people that are running things or getting things done, and you have a lot of catch-alls and people that are like, okay, well, I may have to do this work if something falls through. I may have to pick this up here and there, but aren't adding a ton to the business. And I think with Plenty, we've been able to find our core people. We don't just hire people because we might need a little bit of help. We're always thinking of who's gonna help us the most, who's gonna be able to take on most, who's gonna really add to the business and be that core person. Because if you have 10% of the work done by 70% of the people, like your costs are just going away for nothing. Mm-hmm. We're very like cost aware. Again, we hate fixed costs. We, we want our profit margins to be 
high and good and we want the people that are doing the work to see the rewards for that. Yeah, I think ideally, like in the ideal scenario, just moving forward for any business, you're trying to identify who are those 30 percenters, what do they look like, and how do we make that 100% of our workforce or as close to it as possible. Because if you tell someone, hey, like you could have an assistant or someone under you to help you out with your work and you're going to stay at your 50K salary or say, hey, I need you to pick this up. Like you eliminate all this other small positions that are costing the business whatever 40, 50K a year. Say, well, you can go from 80 to 100 to 120K. Everyone's going to pick it up mm-hmm. because most of the time, if it's if that's the 10% of the work, they're not adding that much more to their plate and they're seeing big rewards. And it's costing the business way less than to keep those people that are just doing half of like and hell if they're making if they're getting a big enough promotion they might just teach themselves to delegate and figure out a way to bring on their own assistant or outsource it somehow right and that like that's literally exactly what i did and i know the pain points that i have and what the business has and i i wouldn't have been as motivated if i didn't see those promotions and salary increases because i would have felt like i was doing a lot more for no reward mm-hmm. whereas you again with transparency you put that on the table you say hey I, if we don't have to hire this person or these two people and you could take on this amount of work and you're going to get 30 40 percent increase people are going to take it yeah and again you have to be clear if you're going to get burnt out like you don't want that either but if 90 percent of the work is done by 30 percent of the people you could easily eliminate all those costs and spread out that 10%. Yeah. And people are going to love it because that's a lot of money that gets right back into the business that you could give to your employees. I love that. Well, kind of going into our last couple questions here, I told you off air, we've got a couple repeat questions I like to ask every guest on the show. So the first one is, and I would use just your beginning of uh, the, the first time you worked with Matt at, mm-hmm. um, at Fountainhead as kind of the beginning point here. But if you could go back in time and just talk to a younger Jessica as you were starting with Matt at Fountainhead, having the wisdom and the knowledge that you have now, what are a couple things you would tell her to do differently? See, I thought about this and I don't have too much that I would do differently. I think the main thing is I mentioned in the beginning, I was very okay with being a task doer, whereas it took me a while to get that kind of hustle. I would have kind of changed that off the bat. I would have wanted to not have to act busy at work or try to put in some hours here and there just for like optics. I would have kind of taken control earlier on because the second I did that, it was just like exponential growth. But besides that, like I'm just happy with the way things went and where it's going. Yeah, clearly it worked really well. Yeah, like. I know a lot of people can't say like they love or they like their job or they have that freedom with the work-life balance and I feel really lucky to have that. That's awesome, I love that. The next question I have for you because the show is called Profession Session, right? Mm -hmm. We talk all about professions here and my thesis with the show is 
professions look different for everyone. There's so many different types of things. There's a near infinite amount of things that can be a profession. And especially as the world expands and grows and globalizes. But my question to you is, what does it mean to you personally to be a professional? Yeah, I definitely see this going a lot of different directions. For me and what like I see from other people is being able to follow through on your word being like anyone could talk the talk you got to walk the walk even if you got to figure it out yourself just being able to deliver on what people expect of you and even or even if you can't being transparent about that it's kind of all about honesty it's about what you can provide to people or yourself and making sure that if you say something it's going to get done yeah i love that Well, Jessica, anything else you would want to leave the audience with? This has been an insanely enlightening conversation. Yeah, it's been long. Um, (laughs) Besides the fact that Sunny is one of the greatest interns Plenty has seen. um, Yeah, it would probably just be to hustle. And I don't even say hustle like hustle culture because I feel Mm. like that's also a a glamorized thing where my hustle is not working 10 hours a day. My hustle is figuring out the ways that I could work five hours a day and still get the same amount like of efficiency and output done. I like that. My hustle is enjoying life, having a work-life balance and not hating my job to pay bills. The hustle comes in figuring out how to do that. Right. Because it takes creativity. It takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of like self-reflection, so Mm -hmm. many things to be able to figure that out. So the hustle is putting in that work to figure out how to set yourself up the right way. Yeah, just to be valuable and to, again, stay humbled in the fact that if someone's above you, they're above you for a reason. Obviously, there's exceptions to that, but the best way to be valuable to someone above you is to free up their time. That's what I learned, and I don't see any way that that's incorrect. It's taken you very far. Yes, and everyone values their time. Time over money. Yeah. That's what they say. The richest people will pay absurd amount of money just to save themselves time. Like, it just goes to show that time is everything, especially for business owners. And if you can find a way to make their lives easier and free up their time, like, you'll see the reward for that. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This has thank been awesome. Thank you for having me. Honored. Sure, we'll have to do it again because that was a great conversation. There is a lot. Hey, in like eight months, we may have a completely different conversation to talk about. So that would be exciting. a great thing. That means the company has grown that much. Yeah, or cool. your company might grow that much as well. Fingers crossed. I mean, with this partnership we got going, I think it's going to happen both ways. Perfect. Well, thank you again, and uh, this has been Profession Session. I've been your host Brody Vincent. My guest has been Jessica Hobday of Plenty Agency. And we're going to go ahead and tune out there. Thanks so much for tuning into Profession Session. Stay tuned for new episodes every week and short clips of deep dives into specific topics that I put out on different social media channels. We could be found on YouTube, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, TikTok, all major podcast platforms. You can find my guest in the details of this video or podcast. And if you happen to know a young standout business owner, professional, or entrepreneur that you would think would be a good fit for Profession Session, DM me or get in contact with me anywhere and just let me know 
and they could be the next to tell their story here. Until next time, again, this has been Profession Session. Stay focused, stay hustling, and stay networking.